Alright, what's going on everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we start into today's episode, I have a quick question for you. Raise your hand if you are listening and you are a founder or you are a founder type or working on side projects. Now, if you're if you're driving, please don't raise your hand. But if you're thinking that's me, chances are you might have a co-founder and in today's world, everything's remote. And this is unfortunate for founding teams because teams work fastest when they're together, right? When you're starting something new from scratch, being in the same room has a magical kind of feeling to it. And when we're all remote, you don't really get the same thing. Well, what if I told you there's a way to get that same output, right? Get that same feeling while being remote. And luckily there is. Uh, our sponsor for the next couple of weeks for Forward Thinking Founders is Sidekick. And Sidekick is an always-on display that sits next to you, next to your computer. It allows you to work right next to your co-founder like you were in the same room. This eliminates most of the problems that you kind of get when founding a startup remotely. And you're able to move faster and, and, and kind of get stuff done in a much more efficient way like you could with if you were in the same room. And luckily, because you're a listener of Forward Thinking Founders, you get a big discount on on Sidekick devices. If you go to sidekick.video slash FTF, you get $30 off. The market rate is $50 per device. As a listener of this podcast, it is $20 per device. $30 off total per device. So go to sidekick.video slash FTF, get your devices, and get you and your co-founders working together like you're in the same room, even if you're remote. Hope you enjoy it. What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kuhn, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today is a segment of Partner Mondays, and I'm really excited to have on the podcast Mac Conwell, who is a searcher for rare breed entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show. How's it going? How's it going, Matt? Glad to be here. This this should be a fun one. Yeah, I'm excited. I love Partner Monday episode. I, I love I love talking to founders. Like I love talking to founders, but I also love talking to VCs and kind of talking about that kind of stuff too. And it also gets people that listen to understand how to think about the game in a little bit of a different way. So I think to start, um, can you kind of just describe uh, um, right now, I think a good way to start is like, what are you, what are you spending your time on right now? Like you're, you're like founders spend time on, you know, raising money and building and building and building. Let's just start with like, what does an average day for you look like? And we'll start for there as we talk average about day looks like, like for me. Yeah, life for me is, is, is interesting because um, my life has always been full of meetings. But in the time of, you know, the, the you know, year 2020 with COVID and this pandemic, it's just a lot of me sitting in front of my computer and having back-to-back meetings. I, I pretty much spend my entire day at Zoom. 
Um, and my day is broken up between speaking to um, entrepreneurs, other investors and VCs, and um, doing some business development for entrepreneurs I already support. So talking to potential partners, potential clients, potential customers for them. And so uh, it's just a lot of meetings. So like, you know, me as a VC, I really feel like a glorified biz dev person, pretty much. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah, I I, I I make sense for sure. So you're you're spending time in meetings. Let's kind of like back up. You so you're talking to founders. You're potentially talking to LPs. All these different types of people. Can we just kind of talk about how you broke into venture and what about venture was like interesting to you? And kind of talk about that journey a little bit. Yeah. So I think to understand how I got the venture, you got to understand a little bit about how I got here, right? So I'm a software engineer by trade, right? My sophomore year of school, I got an internship with the Department of Defense. I got a top secret clearance. Um, and so my junior year of school, I dropped out of school because Northrop Grumman offered me a bunch of money. Um, I spent seven years as a government contractor doing some cool stuff. And then in 2010, I started my first startup. Ran that for four and a half years. Learned everything there was to learn about this game. I went through two accelerators and sold the technology off to a division of a Fortune 100 company. Uh, started a second startup, raised some capital, got into an accelerator, and then my team fell apart. So I had a win and a loss. Um, and then from there, you know, what happens as you go through the process of being a founder is every founder believes they can be a VC. Every founder thinks they know how to deploy capital, they know how to pick winners. We all believe that, right? I was one of those founders. It's not true. It's a lot, it's, it's harder than people give it credit for, um, but it's harder in nuanced ways, right? Like picking companies and picking companies you think are going to be winners, that's not that hard. Some of the nuances of like your portfolio construction, how to support those companies as you go through, those kind of things, though, you know, being on the board, those things are, you know, a little bit tougher, right? Um, but, but really what happened was um, after my second company failed, uh, I was doing some work in Baltimore and I saw an organization here um, that was uh, had an opening position. And so I just figured I'd give it a shot. And what really worked for me, because again, I don't have a college degree. I don't have a finance background. But I was a CEO of two startups. But locally here in Baltimore, I had built up a strong brand as somebody who knew a lot about startups and who, somebody who had supported a lot of startups. And so the fact that I, I had helped other startups raise money and I, I was known for helping people with their pitch decks and getting ready for investor meetings and things like that, um, you know, when the organization that, currently, that I currently work for that hired me, which is essentially the investment arm for the state of Maryland, um, when, when, they, when, I saw, when I was going through the interview process, like all the people that they knew and connected to knew me and had really good things to talk about me, right? And so they ended up hiring me not for the position I applied for, because they told me I didn't have enough experience. But they literally created a junior position to bring me on staff. So that's that's how I broke into VC. So I was just super lucky. Like, let's just be 100% honest. Well, it's, it's, this is a concept I think a lot about. Because, yeah, like, luck for sure. And luck plays into this. Like, luck, everyone that has found success in tech has experienced some element of luck, but there's or a lot of like a little luck or a lot of luck, but luck is always involved. But something I spend a lot of time thinking about is like increasing your luck surface area of like, how do you like, you know, make yourself more susceptible to luck? And like, that was you, right? You weren't just like twiddling your thumbs for 20 years. Like, oh, I want to be, you were, you were getting shit done, right? Which is like kind of increasing that surface area. I want to kind of dive into something that I don't think a lot of founders think about, which I agree with you on, which is like, oh, like, invest in my company, it's great. Or like, how could you pass up on that company? It's a rocket ship. But they don't think about if it's like a $30 million 
pre like post money valuation, it's like, eh, it's not that simple. Can you talk a little bit about, um, about portfolio construction and just kind of like a little bit of a primer for founders that don't really understand the way that works on the VC side. Like, what do you have to think about when you're evaluating deals? Yeah. So it's funny. I had a founder ask me the other day, what's the most important thing for VC when they're evaluating the company? And first and foremost, and this is for me and most of the, and all the things I'm going to say is coming from the standpoint of an early stage VC, somebody who does pre-seed to maybe series A, series B kind of stuff. Um, the most important thing for me is going to be, does this company have the potential to get to $100 million in revenue in the next five to seven years? Because if you get to $100 million in revenue, that means you can get to a billion dollar valuation. That is by far, first and foremost, the most important thing in the world. Why? Because VCs have to go unicorn hunting. We have to invest in companies that have the potential to get acquired for a billion dollars plus because then that's the potential for the money that we put into the, to that company to return the amount of the, our fund, whatever the fund size is, right? And, um, and that's really important because when you model out fi uh, returns for companies you invest in, if you do not account for companies being home runs, you typically aren't going to get enough money back to actually cover the size of your fund. And people are like, well, why is that so important? As a VC, the way we make money is based off, we make money basically two, one of two ways, right? A company gets public, goes public or gets acquired, right? Those only two ways we make money back. And so we already know of the other companies we, we invest in our portfolio, about 70, 75% of those companies will never do that. So that means the other 30% have to return us capital. And so whatever the size of your fund is that you start with, you know, that's money you got from other people. You either got that from high net worth individuals, family offices, or large institutional LPs, right? That's where you get the money. So we're investing other people's money. And the way it's structured is, um, we, as investors, we get paid by getting 20% of all the money that we, that gets returned over the original amount. So if you have a $10 million fund, you got to return $10 million back first before you even start to talk about the money that comes on top in which an investor can get their money back, right? Our invest, our VC can get some additional capital, right? Um, but more importantly, the, the VCs getting our capital, it's us returning capital to those investors who put money in us, right? Um, but here's the thing, right? Here's some stuff that people don't understand. So that's easy fund economics, right? Let's make it more difficult. Let's say you have a $10 million fund, right? And traditionally in the fund, uh, VCs take 2% management fees, right? So 2% management fees in a $10 million fund, that's 200,000 a year annually. So if you take out $200,000 a year annually, the average life of a fund is 10 years. 200,000 a year for 10 years, that's $2 million. Let's take $2, millions off, $2 million off the top, right? So now you got $8 million left to play with. Of that 8 million, you could pay for your back office, which is your accounting and fund administration, and everything out of your fees, or you might have a setup so you pay for it out of the fund. But let's say you gotta get audits, stuff like that. That may be in the, an additional hundred to 150,000 a year. So let's say it's an additional 100,000 a year. Do that across 10 years, there goes another million dollars. You've now taken $3 million off the top and you have $7 million to invest in. You gotta turn that $7 million into what you hope to be a minimum 2X of the fund, the original amount. So even though I had $10 million that I got investments, I'm gonna use $7 million to try to get to $20 million in return. And if I can do that, I'm doing a good job as a VC. Those are high bars to clear. 
And I can know, and I'm only going to get that with my, with 30% of the investments, right? So if I invest in 20 companies, that means six of those companies are going to return me capital. And I need those six companies to account for $20 million. That ain't that easy. Yeah. When you break it down like that, which is, I, it's so, it almost like you, you use it in layman's terms, right? It's like, this is just how it works. And I'm sure there's founders that are listening that are like, what? <laughs> Uh, that that's 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 like what the heck is carry what 20 percent you know all these so that, i appreciate you sharing all of that i know that's very helpful for people listening that are newer to and even people that are in there like that was helpful for me there are things i just learned so you like you on twitter which is how we met you're like killing on twitter so it's actually i was gonna ask a question about kind of the brand, what you're building, et cetera. But let's like start with the, the, the way that we got connected and the way you're probably connecting with a ton of people, which is Twitter. You are yes. crushing it, sir. How, how are you using Twitter? And when did you get on? And you're, you're just, just tell me about your Twitter game because it is on fire. So Twitter's been interesting. So the thing for me is I've always done well on Twitter, but I've never been consistent, right? So like whenever I would tweet, like my tweets would get like interest and people would talk about them. But like I would tweet for like a day or two and then like I disappeared for like a month at a time. So I've been on Twitter for a long time. And I guess more recently, I just made the point to be consistent. Um, and really the things I tweet about, it's nothing incredible, but what, I, what I've learned is a lot of VCs never talk about what our industry is or what we do. Right. And, and like terms that people can understand, but there's all this like hidden veil stuff to what we do. So like founders, like, like it's overhyped what we do is overhyped how sexy our job is. It's overhyped, like how this all works. Like at the end of the day, as a venture capitalist, we are asset managers. We just move money. We move money for other people. That's, that's, that's what we do. We're bankers. Right. Like, like in, in, the, in the simplest terms, right. At the end of the day, what we do is all tied to money. Now, we talk about the nuances and working with founders and, you know, getting be a cool job. That's true, but that's the nuanced part. The things that we're judged on is how much capital we return for our investors. Like at the end of the day, we are no different than like an investment banker working for Merrill Lynch, right? We just go about it in a different asset class. And so I make it a point to try and demystify venture capital and talk about what it is that we do and how we do it in like the layman terms that you mentioned. Um, I also talk about, you know, things I've went through as a founder. And I'm also open about my personal struggles, right? Like having back-to-back Zoom calls and not scheduling enough time to have bathroom breaks. Like that's a real thing, you know, that happens. Um, talking about, you know, I had a friend who passed away because of the hustle and the grind. You know, he was, he was somebody who was having health issues and wasn't taking care of his health because he was so busy trying to build a startup, right? And I personally went through the same thing. I developed anxiety having my startup because I was always working. Right. Like, like those are just real things that happen. And, and I find those to be connection points and, you know, people like there, there are broad topics that people can connect on. And those are the things that people tend to gravitate to. And every now and then I'll be a little controversial, you know, I'll jump in there with some, you know, some race topics and things like that. But, you know, as, as a black man who's VC and is a former black entrepreneur, like, you know, we got to wade into those waters every now and then. So that's how the Twitter games kind of come up about. Twitter has been interesting for me too. It it is kind of like a fire hose, and I, I someone used the definition. I'm not going to claim credit for it, but Twitter is kind of like the lottery for smart people. Like you just like tweet, like you tweet smart things. You know, if you, if you're a smart person, then you just tweet, 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 tweet. And then something aligns in the algorithm, and the people are on, and then one tweet just like pops. 
And then like that breeds, you know, it's just like the 80 20 law. It's just, it's, it's, it's very, it's very fun. It's a little bit of a game for me. I feel like for anyone, just like tweet, have fun, meet people. That's how we met. But then it's like, what can we get to pop, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I've met a lot of cool people recently. It's just weird now. Like I get a bunch of people with blue check marks who are like liking my tweets and retweeting me and getting into conversations. I'm like, all right, so at Twitter, at what point do I get a blue check mark? I'm just saying, like, you know. Let's, let's make oh yeah for sure but, yeah i mean i i if anyone's listening from twitter on the podcast uh i endorse the blue ch- check mark for mac um so you have been talking about kind of quietly we, we can go into it if we don't have to but you you you, you, you know you're, you're looking for rare breed entrepreneurs and you, you mentioned this a couple of times on twitter what is rare breed is what what is a rare breed entrepreneur and like um can you kind of just dive into is that a thesis? Like, well, what is that? Rare breed entrepreneurs is kind of an amorphous thing right now, right? It's, it's, the, it's the entrepreneurs who are thinking, and I posted this the other day on Twitter. I literally have a picture of a box and a dot outside of the box and, a, and an arrow pointing to it saying winner, right? So for me, a rare breed entrepreneur is really an entrepreneur who uses out-of-the-box thinking and out-of-the-box problem solving, right? For the companies that I've invested in, out of the, uh, the state of Maryland, you know, in our portfolio, you know, the companies that have done the best are these entrepreneurs who are like out of the box thinkers who are always constantly thinking about customer acquisition. Like if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I talk about customer acquisition a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and really, to be honest, I get that from the early days of 500 startups. Um, if you look at 500 startups in the early days, you know, their whole thing was they were going to invest in 500, 500 companies. And really the thing was, all they were looking for was traction. They didn't need to know about your industry, what you were doing. They wanted to know, did you have traction? And had you figured out some kind of way to get traction? That was good enough for them. And I never understood the power of that until I was like maybe three years into my first company. Because I, I, I'll never forget, I met Paul Singh, one of the, one of the early members of 500 um, here, because he's from the, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area where I'm at. And he was in town. And I remember him walking up to me, he's like, he walked up to me and my first company was a, it was a product where people could crowd for money to gifts. Right. He walked up to me. He's like, look, man, I've, you know, I've seen you around a couple of times. I know exactly what you're doing. He's like, look, the only thing you need to focus on every day is how to get one more person to post something up there that they want their friends to do and how to get, you know, another group of their friends to start putting money towards their products. That's the only thing you need to do day in and day out. And he's like, if you can't get that to work, you need to do something else. And that was sage advice, but I didn't realize how important it was. And really, all he was telling me was, you need to focus on how to get customers. And if you can't figure out how to get customers, and if this isn't getting customers, you need to do something else. And that was fundamentally the only thing that mattered. Um, and it's funny, over time, I've adopted that same model and that same kind of premise. Um, when I talk to entrepreneurs, like I have the same conversation with entrepreneurs all the time now, which is kind of crazy to me. And so for me, I'm looking for those entrepreneurs who are thinking about their customer acquisition in a really unique way or who are building products in verticals that are like legacy industries. You know, there are a bunch of industries out here where, you know, you just don't even think, I'll never forget I met an entrepreneur and he told me, yeah, I make a digital product for, um, for um, jailhouses because, you know, the, uh, the, 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 um, in the jails, the officers fill out notebooks every night to take down like reports on information, right? And he's like, literally like Office Depot and these, or, and these companies are making money off of selling notebooks 
to these jail houses. He's like, well, I do audits for them and I have to go through all these notebooks. So I just made the digital product for him. He's like, yeah, I'm making like 2 million a year off of that. I'm just like, nobody would ever know that this is a problem that existed except for somebody in it. You just took the time to create a simple form and you make 2 million a year off of it and you'll never need venture dollars because you'll be independently wealthy doing that. I love stuff like that. And every now and then you'll find an entrepreneur doing something like that in an industry that, does, that can get you venture returns that nobody sees or notices or cares about. So, you know, for me, I don't like leaving money on the table. So you know, I'll find those entrepreneurs and I'll give them money. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, that's, uh, that's sweet. So, so let's kind of, as we near the end um, uh, of the conversation, do you right now, so that's one way to like, if founders listening, they think they fit that category, like fantastic. Are there any attributes or anything you want in a founding team traction wise or team wise? Or is it pretty much you're doing something interesting in a different way? And like, let's talk, I guess if someone's listening and they were one of figuring out if you might be a good fit, you know, what, what else are you kind of looking for? Those are the two things. If you're building a product in an industry that's lacked innovation in 10 plus years, and that's a physical product, right? If you're building a physical product in an industry that's lacked innovation in 10 plus years, check me out. If you are building a software product, but you have a clearly repeatable or unique customer acquisition strategy, check me out. Because what I find very often is entrepreneurs will have really cool and unique products. But this is like the classic thing, right? Entrepreneurs will be like, yeah, so we're raising funding right now so we can do marketing. And I ask them, so what's the marketing going to go to? They're like, oh, we're going to hire a marketing person. Are we going to, we're going to try out maybe some ads and things. I'm like, okay, so what ads are you going to try? Or what is the qualifications of that marketing person? And they don't know because really what it is is that those founders are raising money because they want to use money to solve a problem they don't know how to solve. I don't want to back you and give you money to figure out how to solve something. I want you to already know how that works. Because otherwise, we're both taking a shot in the dark. That's, that's not a good investment strategy, if you ask me. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. That's like, that's pretty refreshing to hear just ha- how you think about it. If, if you have a founder that's listening, or if there is a founder that's listening, that wants to, that is kind of liked listening to you, like learning about you, um, how can they get in touch? Like, like how, how is it, do you have like a form? Do they email you? Are you actively investing now? It's like, how, if a founder is interested, what, how do they get in touch with you? The easiest way to get in touch with me right now is follow me on Twitter at Mac Conwell. That is the easiest way to get in touch with me today. Um, there may be some announcements coming in the next three to four weeks where there'll be other ways to get in touch with me. It's not public yet. Just be on the lookout, everybody. Just but for now, follow me on Twitter at Matt Conwell. Um, I'm I'm fairly accessible. And if you if you send me a DM and I don't respond right away, just just keep sending them. Just just keep keep going. I'll see it eventually. I promise. I promise. <laughs> I actually want to like echo what you just said. Um, to like I really want to make sure founders don't gloss over what you just said. You cold email someone, or if you DM them and they don't respond, they're not actively ignoring you. They're just busy so follow up seven like follow up until they stay stop emailing or they well they'll say great let's talk right follow up like, i i love that advice and it really works it's worked out for me so thank you so much for coming on to the podcast really refreshing to hear how you think about venture and what you're looking for in founders and i wish you the best of luck getting those 2x 3x 4x funds if not more over the next you know a decade or two Thank you so much, man. This has been fun. Uh, I appreciate you bringing me on and I hope everybody enjoy listening.